Alrighty, so Miss Diaz, you are running for the governor of Texas. How's that going? Absolutely, it's exciting and it's uh, an adventure like no other. And hopefully, the end result is going to change the lives of many Texans, yeah. including mine. So it's a beautiful thing. Okay, so before we get into kind of where you're at with all this, um, I want to know what led you to to start running in the first place. Well, Caleb, I mean, it's one of those things that you feel like a tug in your heart and um, you say, have I done everything that I can um, to transform my state? And I tell the story that last March, so it's almost a year since I had COVID. Last March, I had COVID and I couldn't get vaccinated yet. I was 44 years old and we were only vaccinating 50 year olds. And so I got sick. My son got sick. My son was 10. And in my case, you know, I just couldn't breathe. It was one of those things where you're trying and no matter how hard you inhale, there the air is not coming through. And so it was, you know, a few moments of desperation where I just thought, if I live through this crisis, I want to make sure that I do everything I can to transform Texas. And, you know, I kind of always felt that tug. So, you know, I running for like public office. No, the tug to change lives. Mm. Uh, My parents were missionaries in Mexico and they were really transformative, you know, to the communities where they served. They served in garbage dumps. So they built clinics and um, they built um, schools and so when you have parents like that, you're like, whoa, have I really done everything I can to change the world? <laughs> yeah, I feel that. <laughs> or to change the world around me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel that big time. So connect the dots for me on how COVID what made such a huge impact for you to run for office. Well, because at the time I was uh, a reporter, I was a public radio reporter, and I truly felt like I was serving. You know, I I did it as a service. You don't become rich by being a public radio reporter. So it was definitely, you know, a form of service. But I didn't see the service really translating into meaningful changes. I could see me informing people. I could see me making some people reflect but was I really making changes, making a difference? And so the COVID really taught me to evaluate my life in this way. I could die today. Have I served my purpose? Mm. And so my answer at that time was no. So I decided to run for office because I believe is where I can have a big impact. Mm. There's a, an interesting theory behind that, and it was something I learned in college where um, I don't, you may have be aware of this, but it's called terror management theory. And mm-hmm. it's basically we buffer our entire world uh, with whether it be politics or religion um, against death. And then whenever mm-hmm. that worldview is you know shortened you know, to where it's like, oh, that worldview is gone. You know, I'm kind of facing uh, a near-death experience or, or, or whatever uh, that is to you. And then you realize, okay, what is important? So it seems like you had one of these situations and here you are running for the Texas governor. And you know what? I kind of think, and you're absolutely right, but I kind of also think that during periods of time, like we're living right now with COVID, 
you can either experience survivor's guilt or you can experience an exuberance of joy because you made it, right? And in my case, I am kind of experiencing that exuberance of joy that is telling me, let's go for the next thing. Let's do um, something that can change the lives of many people. Is this the first time you've run for a public office? It is. Yeah, how's that going? <laughs> I guess it's like the first time you do anything. It's like the first pregnancy is so scary and at the same time so <laughs> fulfilling. <laughs> oh wow! So you're, you're you based know, out of well, you're based. There's the promise of new life at the end, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you're based out of Austin, right? Yes, I am. Have you grown up in Austin your entire life, or? No, I grew up in Mexico City, where my parents were missionaries. Okay. Okay. So I'm guessing religion is still part of a strong part of your life. Yes, I have a deep faith. I, um, you know, I was at a, at a college campus last week in UTRGV in um, Edinburgh. And one of the girls at the end approached me, wanted me to sign her poster. And she said, you know, I really like you. The only thing that scares me is that you say you're a woman of faith. And I said, why is that scary to you? And she said, well, the only people of faith have known, you know, restrict the rights of women to access health care and hate people who are gay. And I said, well, the faith that I learned and the words that came out of Jesus's mouth, if you believe this to be true, is love God with all your heart and your neighbor like yourself. And that is um, my guiding principle. Even as you kind of uh, make public policy, that's kind of the thing you're, you're basing this off of? I think so, because when you love yourself, your your neighbor like yourself, you know, I love myself very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I definitely get that. You can only see the other person as a reflection of you and as a reflection of God. And so you have to serve if yeah. that's your mindset. Huh. Yeah, there's, there's a weird stigma, man, with um politics and evangelicals or ex-evangelicals whatever you know side you want to play on that um and it, it is it's pretty frustrating because automatically if you are a person of faith you're categorized as a republican as somebody who is against um x y and z i mean everybody automatically knows what those are um i just don't think that that's reality right now yeah i was telling um danny harrison i had him on the podcast and i was telling him the same thing where a lot of people our age uh 20s and 30s even early 20s and 30s um really struggle with that where our gen our parents generation and their parents parents generation is pretty you're you're republican or democrat but a lot of people that i even i agree with are finding themselves kind of in the middle where they 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 want this from one party, but they also want this from the other party. Um, and some might be evangelical, some may not. It doesn't really matter. It's just it, it's hard to be put in a box. And that's exactly what politics does. And yeah, it's frustrating, man. It is so frustrating because it's like saying Latinos are this or white people are that or women are this. No. Yeah. So what we do you do yeah, I mean, we are complicated human beings, right? Each of us is unique. Um, as we say in Espanol, cada cabeza es un mundo. Each head is its own world, mm. right? And so when it comes to politics, I adhere to some of the ideas of the Democratic Party, but I cannot 
um, reject or vilify um, the Republican Party. My mother is a Republican. I would not call Republicans anything that I wouldn't call my mother. And yet I strongly disagree with our current governor, because if his job is to be public servant, number one, he's not serving me. He's not serving Texans that I visit with, you know, so this is the only job where it takes you four years to get fired. And in his case, eight. (laughs) So he's got plenty of chances, you know, to do a better job and he hasn't. So I want to learn, I want to know, um, what is so far, you said you're 44. I am 45 now. 45. And let me tell you something, Caleb, to be Texas governor, you need to be 30 years old. So I'm 30 and a half. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, you look good for 44 or 45. I'm just well, saying, thank I, you. Was I'm 45. Not, I was like, okay, this lady, she's a lot younger. Um, but like, just that's awesome. I'm you know, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, so the greatest life lesson prior to you running for politics, and then I want to know the greatest life life lesson that you've learned in the campaign. Well, wow, thank you so much. You know, I think the greatest life lesson that I have from before, it was that realization that you can change lives, that change is possible. A lot of people are really discouraged, and I've heard that too uh, on the streets and, and in small towns where I've visited, is, but I'm only one, right? Mm-hmm. I'm only one. Um, And in the past, I am so fascinated and so in love with the things that my parents did. I mean, building schools, like who does that, right? And so I was telling you that, you know, there's some big shoes to fill there. Um, But that was before. Oh, just lost you. Hang on one second. And as a reporter, I always felt enough to change lives. But when I... When I have traveled through Texas, what I have learned is a few things. Maybe I'll start with one. People want to be heard. No one, no one has ever asked me, are you a Republican or a Democrat? What they say, I say, I'm Joy Diaz and I'm running for governor. And they say, oh, if you become governor, could you please make sure that this happens, right? And it ranges, for instance, in Edinburgh, you know, a student approached me and he said, oh, my God, my mom has cancer. My mom has cancer, too. So, you know, we immediately clicked and he said, we cannot afford her health insurance. And, you know, my heart breaks um, because we're in one of the richest places on earth. Yeah. So how is that possible? So what I have learned traveling the state is that people want to be heard. And we deserve better. We cannot be standing on one of the wealthiest corners of the planet and have people suffering for things as simple as this lady said to me, if you become governor, make sure that the the pantry, the community pantry is, is filled because we don't have grocery stores here. Oh my God, I mean, then let's get grocery stores. Mm. Let's incentivize businesses to come to rural Texas. You know, we cannot, I'm a mother of two. I do not treat one of my children with food and medical care and um, opportunities for schooling. And my other one, I just keep him in a closet and I say, I hope you survive, you know, (laughs) have a good life way out there. So you're specifically talking about like the rural community communities who aren't getting um, 
healthcare and Absolutely. typical. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think people realize how rural lots of Texas really is. Can you touch on yes. that a little bit? Oh yeah. I mean, there are places, you know, as a reporter, I knew that one in three families do not have um, high speed internet. Right. And when you say, Oh, one in three. Oh, okay. Well, when you go for miles and you cannot catch a signal on your phone and when you're trying to send an email and there's nothing you can do because there's no internet, no internet, no Wi-Fi, no nothing, that is a desperate situation because imagine going through COVID, you know, um, through remote learning when your iPad cannot catch a signal no matter where you stand. And no matter where you stand in your town and no matter where you stand in the town next door, mm. you know, and when you drive miles and miles of Texas, it sounds like a very um, romantic song. But when you drive miles and miles and there is no doctor, mm. no doctor, yeah. no dentist. I was talking to a woman yesterday who who works for a rural hospital. And she said, we don't have a dentist in this county or the county next door or the county next door. No dentist. Hmm. I mean, you're not talking about 1940s, you know, rural Mexico. No, you're talking about 2022, one of the wealthiest points on the planet, Texas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you fix that? Well, I think you fix it first by accepting the money that the federal government has been offering us for 10 years. You know, since Obamacare, we've had the opportunity to expand Medicaid and we've just said, no, thank you, because we're Republicans. That is unconscionable. That is immoral to keep your people without health care just because you don't like uh, you don't like Democrats, you know. So no, uh, that is unacceptable. So that's one way to fix it. And another way, Caleb, I've been learning a lot about all these agencies and look at me trying to jump through the screen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Actually, it's, it sounds better audio wise if you're a little closer. So it works okay, out. <laughs> good, 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 good. Well, another thing that I've been learning because I'm traveling with other um, with other candidates and they have been researching their agencies and they're like, well, for instance, the Department of Agriculture has money that is supposed to go into education, that is supposed to go into rural hospitals, and it doesn't. It just mm. sits there, you know. So, Wait, if so there's actually there's a pool of, of money that's just sitting there. Yeah, just sitting there. Not being used. Is, it's not some the, like a Blackwater fund or something. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's just money sitting there. So that's wild. Let's whatever sexy name you want and let's huh. use it you know let's use it um to fund rural hospitals to fund veterans um to fund schools so anyway the money exists hmm. so uh, one thing i was kind of curious about you mentioned how you know you really want to to reach these rural communities which is really good i, I love that idea um but a lot a lot of the i guess questions that um i have with this and a lot of other people have is you know we 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 want to force everybody to get medical care or not force to buy medical insurance um and so that everybody's covered and so that nobody's underinsured so that you're not really paying for the health insurance bills of other people who can or cannot deserve whatever you want to call it. but um the issue here is lack of primary care doctors 
you know, the issue, the main issue is not having the, the resources to be able to staff these places whenever there's already, there's already, you know, massive, uh, primary care doctors here in the DFW area. Um, that's why primary care has shifted from primary care physician doctors into the ER. The ER has now become, you know, their new primary care. So how do we fix the, the healthcare issue in Texas to these rural communities by expanding Medicare and Medicaid, but yeah. mm-hmm. also not having the adequate primary care physicians, you know? Right, right. I, I mean, it's one of those things that if you build it, they will come, right? If we have the hospitals in place, if we expand Medicaid, then we will have the facilities and we will be able to staff them. Nobody wants to go and work for a hospital that is every six months in the brink of collapse and ready to close. And so if they know that the state is taking this uh, funding from the federal government, if they understand that the governor is committed to funding these places, I believe that we will be able to retain those physicians because they will know that there is a path, you know, that they will be funded for the next um, for, well, if, if I get elected for the first four years. But also once you accept the Medicaid expansion, it's very difficult to remove that from people, right? So once we expand that, regardless of whether I stay in the position just for four years or I stay in the position for um, two terms or three terms, terms or whatever, which three terms I think it's, Uh, out of the question because you lose floor you lose touch with reality Mm -hmm. you know like right now i know what a gallon of milk costs um after eight years in a position where you are so far removed from um the average texan i believe you lose touch and And that's what these uh these career politicians that's what's been a huge frustration because uh, was the mayor of new york or for i forget which mayor it was but um, he, he, somebody asked him who, uh, how much he thinks an apartment or a house costs to rent and he right. said something like $500 a month. Like, what? <laughs> like, it was something wild. I can't, I can't, I can't exactly quote exactly, but it was that same idea. They're just completely out of touch. Ah, hang on. Completely out of touch. Okay, let me turn, I forgot this again. Let me turn this camera back on. No worries. Yeah, I guess I had my timer and uh, for my laundry, I was going to switch because I always leave the laundry in there and it just sits there. I'm like, gosh, I got to set the timer. (laughs) (laughs) That was terrible. Look, whatever it takes. Adulting is (laughs) it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. um, So I guess my main question is I, I hear that you're trying to get the resources to fix the healthcare system, which I love that. I love that. That's been the, the task for so many people. Um, mm-hmm. But the main issue that people, I think people are overlooking, I could be wrong here, but is the supply. We are completely, completely under what we need for the supply of primary care doctors. So mm-hmm. I get attraction, but how can you attract nobody? You know, I, I don't know. The last <laughs> yeah. If, it, if, if these people don't exist, right? 
I mean, no, isn't, I the, mean, isn't um, the hundreds of thousands of doctor shortage that we're, that we're not even having. And that's why they switched to like the mid-level provider for nurse practitioners and, and PAs, right? Uh, which is great. Right. I love that. But I'm wondering if like, how are we going to expand resources with nobody to take up those roles? Cause there's nobody going to school now for 15 years to become doctors because it's just too expensive. I hear you, which is another problem, right? Um, well, we do have two new medical schools in Texas. We have one in Austin and one in the, in the Valley. Um, and you're right. I mean, the urgency is to create that incentive so that doctors will go into, will become uh, primary care physicians. Um, in the meantime, I think many of these places do need at least you know, a nurse practitioner, at least a facility where they can go that is not, you know, out of state or mm. out of country. I mean, how many people go to Mexico for medical treatment, my mother included, right? But you touched on something else, which is the cost of education. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to think that because we stopped funding state schools, our state, Texas, stopped funding state schools at the level that they need to be funded. And we just said, hey, do whatever you need to do. And what did they do? Raise tuition, right? But you're not going to complain. You're there for four years. What are you going to do? Just get your education, get out and try to get out of debt as fast as you can. So we abuse transient populations. We abuse young populations mm -hmm. because we think, hey, they're not going to do anything right. They're not going to vote me out of office. Right. I mean, will they? And you don't. And so but that doesn't make it any fairer or any better. And so one of the things that I if I remember correctly, in the 90s, you know, you could have a summer job and pay for, you know, your school year. Uh, mm -hmm. Today, you cannot do that. Today, even if you have two or three summer jobs, even if you have two or three apprenticeships, internships, a combination of resources, your parents helping you out, you still come out with a ton of debt. And that is not fair. I mean, Texas needs to fund state schools in the level that it was funding it in the 90s. And mm. especially because in the 90s, we did not have the Teslas of the world here. You know, especially because in the 90s, we did not have huge Amazon warehouses. So. Today we do. And Texas, I insist, when you live in such a wealthy state, it is not fair for you to look around and feel like, wait a minute, why do I feel like I cannot make ends meet? I give the comparison to what if your parents were rich, right? My parents were not rich, but but they gave me their best, mm -hmm. their best in education, their best in healthcare, their best in clothing. They gave me their best. And that's what I try to do with my kids. I think all parents out there uh, want to give their children their best. Why doesn't the state of Texas want to give us its best? You know, if my daddy were rich and I didn't have healthcare, I would be like, dad, help me out. Mm -hmm. What is it that Texans are not revolting and saying, hey, do your best for us. Do your best for me. Um, you know, we we often feel like the word entitled is kind of dirty. You know, we're like, oh, you're so entitled. <laughs> and that's like a dirty word, you know, but we are entitled. We're Texans. We've invested in this state and the state needs to invest in us. We are the best resource the state has. I I, I like that. And I agree. And I'm going to ask you something kind of pointed here. 
Um, you know, a lot of people um, who are running for public office, they get they get there, they they run with their promises, and they have really cool uh, campaigns, and they they say all the right buzzwords, right? Uh, how do I know? You say all the right things are exactly the right time. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, healthcare has been the the debate for how long? I mean, as long as I can remember. Um, and then trying to reduce costs because I know nobody at my age right now can afford healthcare, can afford no. a house, can barely afford no. rent. They're working no. three jobs, um, and it, it's it's very difficult. And so I I hear what you're saying. I like it. Practically, how do I know I can trust what you're saying? <laughs> and please well, don't, ta don't take that so, to so, the wrong way. So if you and I agree, you and I agree that two plus two is always four, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we have that basic principle. So wealthy man running always has equaled to what we have right now. Hmm. Correct? I mean, yeah, that, that's the frustration man. with uh, the career politicians. They just are so out of that's touch. That's the formula we've had. Wealthy yeah. man, wealthy man, wealthy man. And look at the results. Inequality, inequality, inequality. Abuse, abuse, abuse. How about down-to-earth woman with brains and a heart? I like that. Okay, you sold me. <laughs> How about that? I mean, honestly, yeah, that that's good. In order for us to change things, we need to choose people who are different. We cannot do the same thing and expect a different result. Mm -hmm. And we have been doing that. We have been electing the same people and expecting a different result. Why? Why would Greg Abbott give us anything when he is filthy rich and out of touch and full of ambition to be president? So What's what is, sensitive? yeah, exactly. What do you think is leading to that? Whenever, I mean, we've talked about term limits for a long time now. Why isn't it happening in your opinion? Because people are thirsty for power and sickened by it when they get it, you know? Um, so it's up to us. It's up to the population to say enough is enough. And I believe that if I got elected, that I would change the term limits because we cannot have someone like Rick Perry, for instance, who was there for 16 years, who didn't even run the first time. You know, he stepped into the governor's position when George W. Bush ran for president. Can you imagine having a friend like that, Caleb? <laughs> oh, I cannot be governor for the next two years, Caleb. Could you please run the state? OK, I guess I will. Well, that's also that that yeah. Of your scratch, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's kind of rampant everywhere. Um, I talked about pre on a previous podcast how it's same with science and research. Uh, certain ideas and topics um, aren't being pushed through in these research journals because uh, it's not relevant to who they are in as a relationship, but not necessarily the evidence. Um, yeah. If you don't know the editorial board, then a lot of times it's harder to get your. Uh, stuff through so it's it, it's like that in politics it's like that in research it's like everywhere that in yeah. business so how do we how do we stop that how do we start getting more to where we are voting in people that we actually want in office you know yeah um, beto uh he's you know he seems to be the front runner right now politically for the democrat well he's party. the wealthiest and that's my point and he's a man yeah that's my point same formula yeah. So I, that's a big push 
that I why not in the ugh, that is a big reason why I asked you on. You know, people like yourself who are not getting the backing that Beta was getting because his daddy's rich. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. Um, and his wife. <laughs> yeah, and his wife. Um, it's frustrating because like that's kind of how we were supposed to do it in the first place. We're supposed to elect people that were are like us that are down to earth that um can have a voice for the people and this extra term limits these rich people who are, who are getting in there staying in there forever is our issue today mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i want to give you more of a voice people like yourself more of a voice to do what you got to do and it's frustrating that nobody else is doing this i see it seems like i'm the only dude i'm like this is nonsense Sorry, I got well, thank you. I mean, I, I am so glad that you're frustrated because frustration can either motivate us to do things differently, you know, where we say, hey, 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 this is not working. And then we dare to believe. We dare to, to, to feel empowered. We dare to change course, right? Um, it's, and, and when we dare, we see that the results are different. One of the promises for people who run, in my case, one of the promises that I have embraced wholeheartedly is that government is for the people, by the people, and for the people. And so if we take that to heart, I used to be a little bit frustrated with the campaign because I was like, why am I not raising millions of dollars? Why am I, you know? And then one day I sat down and I told myself, Joy, campaigns are, are won with votes. So do you need money or do you need votes? I need votes. That's yeah. the only thing I need. Yeah. I don't need your money, Caleb, because I know you don't have it. <laughs> I don't need anybody else's money because I know working class people in Texas are going through hell. So I just need your vote. That's all I need. And truly, you know, a lot of every time I talk to somebody, the question is Beto, right? I have nothing against Beto, nothing against him. But why do we repeat the formula and expect a different result? Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're singing, you're preaching the choir here because everybody my age is, is saying the same thing and nothing is changing. And that's why nobody's getting the vote because it's, it seems like a rigged system, to be honest. Um, and nobody's asking these questions like, why the heck should I vote for you, Miss Diaz? You know, why the heck should I vote for Beto? Uh, and why is the rich person seeming or the richest ca uh, campaigners always the ones um, getting to the top of their ticket? And that's yes. mind boggling to me. And it goes back. Yeah. I mean, you can get to like gerrymandering and lobbying and stuff like that, which seems very ish, <laughs> iffy. <laughs> so uh, we won't have to get into that debate because I don't, we only have about 10 to 15 minutes left. But sure. Um, in the next 10, 15 minutes, uh, practically tell me what you would do to change Texas if you became in that seat, if you came to that seat. Thank you so much. Um, well, it's it's not if, it's when, right? It's there one of know. those things that you have to believe with all your heart and you have to work as hard as you can. So this is the thing. When we have a Joy Diaz administration, this is what we're going to do. We have to expand Medicaid because your health 
literally your life depends on it and the lives of so many. And so we cannot afford to keep losing Texans to bad policy. We've done it with the grid. We've done it with the pandemic. We cannot keep killing our people because of policy. So Medicaid expansion has to come in on day one. And then we need to invest heavily in our schools, Caleb. And let me tell you why. We are always telling people, oh, our business environment in Texas is so great. What good is a business environment, a good, healthy business environment, if we're not investing in schools? We will only have a sustainable business environment for this season, because the next season, when it's time for all these retirements, when it's time to bring all this new blood, they're not going to be ready. And guess what happens to our business environment? It collapses. It's like a beautiful castle with no foundation. So we need to invest heavily in education. We need to invest in our teachers. Our teachers need to know not only that they're valued, but they need to feel that they're valued. And perhaps, perhaps, crazy thought here, perhaps it is because we have so many women as teachers that we have been disrespecting this profession for so long. We think, oh, her husband can pay the bills. Well, many people do not have husbands these days. Many people are the sole providers at home. Teachers need to be able to sustain their families and they need to be able to do so without fear of losing their lives. Mm. So we're going to invest heavily in education. And the other thing that we're going to do is when you elect Joy Diaz as your governor, you're going to have someone who is bicultural, bilingual, who can communicate with Mexico and the United States in a respectful way. And you think that the only benefit for that is the border? No. Although the border is very important for me, it is water, it is business, it is all these transactions that Texas is so dependent upon. Mm. And when you have someone who is respectful and bicultural and bilingual, we can negotiate as partners. Before that, we're just, you know, snubbing our noses at our neighbors and we are not doing anything. Look at the border. Is it better today than the day Greg Abbott took office? No. And it's been eight years. Why do we have to fire him after eight years? Well, because we didn't fire him after four, but we need to fire him now. Interesting. So the uh, education section, um, completely agree. Uh, I'm seeing how dumb our education system is. Like, honestly, literally, I think that our kids are just being educated to burn time, not really educated to. But imagine, Caleb, we we don't have our Texas Education Agency is led by a governor friend, not by an educator. Mm, Can you imagine that? Interesting. That I came to your house and you said, Joy, I want to build a house. Oh, Caleb, I'm your friend. I'll build your house. Do you have any experience building houses? No, mm. but trust me, I'm your friend. Yeah. No, yeah. that cannot stand. How do you feel about school choice? Oh, yeah. we hit a nerve. We hit a nerve. Yeah. Well, I Not am yet. a li- I've been a licensed teacher. And so um, school choice is a challenge in Texas because it's been poorly managed. 
schools, um, charter schools have been given a lot of latitude and not enough of the responsibilities that public schools have. So in a way, they're getting the best of all the worlds and they have not been um, accountable. So what I would do is I would put a moratorium on charter schools because the idea of a charter school is very compelling. The implementation in Texas is not. It has been disastrous. So is there a way, because I know uh, we talked about, um, well, actually, we didn't really touch too much on it, but with education and socioeconomic status in your zip code, it's hard to fund, you know, good schools whenever tax dollars are directly proportioned to directly proportioned to the socioeconomic status of that area. Right. That just kind of seems mind boggling that that's even a thing. Right. I'm kind of like, is this, are you for or against it? Let's just ask that. Well, I am for reforming the way we fund our schools okay, because we, we cannot rely on this. We yes. cannot rely. If our end goal is equity, we cannot rely on this because then poorer yeah. communities, even if they do the percentage that is, um, uh, that is according to their income, they're still short. Mm -hmm. You know, they cannot fund their schools. And so we need to reform the way we fund our schools. And that's not hard to do. It just requires to have the right people at the top. One of the things that we can do is a constitutional amendment where we change the way we fund our schools. And guess what? A lot of people get scared when you say constitutional amendment. They're like, whoa, that's not going to happen. There's been a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so one of the topics that I had a really interesting discussion with with Maddie Parker, the new Fort Worth mayor, um, she's very, very much about education. Um, one of the things she's been implementing and trying to implement even more in the educational system in Fort Worth is apprenticeship programs. Um, cause we're, what we're seeing today is, you know, you, you do all the right things. You graduate high school, you go to college and, you know, are $60,000 in debt, and then you still can't find a job. And there's a lot of, a lot of great, um, apprenticeship programs and technical schools that nobody's talking about. And you're, mm -hmm. you, know, you can graduate as a plumber and make you know, 70, 80, 90 K the last plumber I talked to, he's making like six figures. I was like, what? <laughs> he's a plumber. It was just a few months. So I'm kind of curious, is that something that could be um, implemented more as you start to reform education? Yes, because when you start funding state schools the way they should be funded, then you can implement all these things. One of our biggest treasures in Texas is our uh, community colleges. We have some of the mm -hmm. best in the country. They are nimble and they can start um uh, serving communities according to the need of the community or according to the need of the market. They're not like these big legacy education, you know, systems like the University of Texas, that it takes seven months to submit a proposal and then mm -hmm. 13 months to get it rejected. And then, you know, so um, community colleges are one of our biggest treasures. For instance, the one in, in, in Austin, it has one of a handful of Cisco labs where you can um, get your art, you know, Cisco architect um, certification. That is something that only happens like in three places in the United States. And they have it here. You know, they have um, underwater welding, um, mm. you know, so things yeah. that, you know, who thinks about these things, but they do because they know that the market is demanding these uh, people with these certifications. And so you're absolutely right. 
Yes. I would love to uh, see yeah. that even kind of implemented into the high schools. But, um, okay, so as we wrap up, what are the kind of the last things that you'd like to say to anybody who might be listening to this? Well, Caleb, thank you. What I want to say is I dare you to believe. Hmm. I dare you to believe that your vote is valuable. I dare you to believe that your vote can change things. I dare you to believe that a different formula can provide different results. So if the formula that you've been saying is wealthy man, wealthy man destroys the economy, destroys the state, destroys healthcare, <sighs> then dare to believe that a woman with a heart and a brain um, can do things differently. And I'm ready to serve you. It would be my honor to be your next governor. Well, first off, for me, man, it was it was a really great honor to even have this conversation with you, no matter what happens. Um, it you. was just a, honestly a great conversation. Um, you you uh, were able to receive some of my pointed questions in a very good way, and you gave me like straight up results, and I like that. You know, we're tired of the the BS, to be honest. And you were very straight and forward, and I love that about you. So it was an honor having you on the, on the show, on the having this conversation with you, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and vote March first. Yes, ma'am. You have a good one. Thank you.